Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. The Golden Hour of Casualty Care. Rapid handoff to surgical team is associated with improved survival in war-injured U.S. service members. Objective To examine time from injury to initiation of surgical care and association with survival in U.S. military casualties. Background Although the advantage of trauma care within the golden hour after an injury is generally accepted, evidence is scarce. Methods This retrospective Population-based cohort study included U.S. military casualties injured in Afghanistan and Iraq, January 2007 to December 2015, alive at initial request for evacuation with maximum abbreviated injury scale scores greater than or equal to 2 and documented 30-day survival status after injury. Interventions, 1. Handoff alive to the surgical team, and 2. Initiation of first surgery were analyzed as time-dependent covariates, elapsed time from injury, using sequential Cox proportional hazards regression to assess how intervention timing might affect mortality. Covariates included age, injury year, and injury severity. Results Among 5,269 patients, median age, 24 years, 97% males, and 68% battle injured, 728 died within 30 days of injury, 68% within 1 hour, and 90% within 4 hours. Only handoffs within one hour of injury and the resultant timely initiation of emergency surgery, adjusted also for prior advanced resuscitative interventions, were significantly associated with reduced 24-hour mortality compared with more delayed surgical care, adjusted hazard ratios, 0.34, 95% C, 0.14 to 0.82, P equals 0.02, and 0.40, 95% C, 0.20 to 0.81, P equals 0.01, respectively. In hospital weights for surgery, mean, 1.1 hours, 95% C, 1.0 to 1.2, scarcely contributed, P equals 0.67. Conclusions Rapid handoff to the surgical team within one hour of injury may reduce mortality by 66% in U.S. military casualties. In the subgroup of casualties with indications for emergency surgery, rapid handoff with timely surgical intervention may reduce mortality by 60%. To inform future research and trauma system planning, findings are pivotal. Surveillance of individuals at high risk of developing pancreatic cancer, a prevalence meta-analysis to estimate the rate of low-yield surgery. Objective To quantify the rate of low-yield surgery, defined as no high-grade dysplastic precursor lesions or T1N0M0 pancreatic cancer at pathology, during pancreatic cancer surveillance. Background 
Global efforts have been made in pancreatic cancer surveillance to anticipate the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer at an early stage and improve survival in high-risk individuals, HRIs, with a hereditary predisposition. The negative impact of pancreatic cancer surveillance when surgery is performed for low-grade dysplasia or a non-neoplastic condition is not well quantified. Materials and Methods A systematic search and prevalence meta-analysis was performed for studies reporting surgery with final diagnoses other than those defined by the cancer of the pancreas screening, CAPS, goals from January 2000 to July 2023. The secondary outcome was the pooled proportion of final diagnoses matching the CAPS goals, PROSPERO, hashtag CRD4202230408. Results 23 articles with 5,027 patients, median 109 patients slash study, interquartile range 251, were included. The pooled prevalence of low-yield surgery was 2.1%, 95% C, 0.9 to 3.7, I2, 83%. In the subgroup analysis, this prevalence was non-significantly higher in studies that only included familial pancreatic cancer subjects without known pathogenic variants, compared with those enrolling pathogenic variant carriers. No effect modifiers were found. Overall, the pooled prevalence of subjects under surveillance who had a pancreatic resection that contained target lesions was 0.8%, 95% C, 0.3 to 1.5, I2, 24%. The temporal analysis showed that the rate of low-yield surgeries decreased in the last decades and stabilized at around 1%, Test for subgroup differences P less than 0.01. Conclusions The risk of low-yield surgery during pancreatic cancer surveillance is relatively low but should be thoroughly discussed with individuals under surveillance. At the intersection of intersectionality, race and gender diversity among surgical faculty and trainees. Objective To compare the representation of intersectional, e, racial-slash-ethnic and gender, identities among surgical faculty versus medical students. Background Health disparities are pervasive in medicine, but diverse physicians may help the medical profession achieve health equity. Methods Data from the Association of American Medical Colleges for 140 Programs, 2011-2012-2019-2020, were analyzed for students and full-time surgical faculty. Underrepresented in medicine, Orem, was defined as Black-African American, American Indian-Alaskan Native, Hispanic-Latino-Spanish Origin, or Native Hawaiian-Other Pacific Islander. Non-white included Orem plus Asian, multiracial, and non-citizen permanent residents. Linear regression was used to estimate the association of year and proportions of Orem and non-white female and male faculty with proportions of Orem and non-white students. Results Medical students were comprised of more white, 25.2% versus 14.4%, non-white, 18.8% versus 6.6%, and Orem, 9.6% versus 2.8%, women and concomitantly fewer men across all groups versus faculty. All P less than 0.01. Although the proportion of white and non-white female faculty increased over time, both P less than or equal to 0.001, there was no significant change among non-white Orem female faculty, nor among non-white male faculty, regardless of whether they were Orem or not. 
Having more aura male faculty was associated with having more non-white female students, estimate equals plus 14.5% student slash 100% increase in faculty, 95% C, 1.0% to 8.1%, P equals 0.04, and this association was especially pronounced for orum female students, estimate equals plus 46.6% student slash 100% increase in faculty, 95% C, 36.9% to 56.3%, P less than 0.001. Conclusions Urim faculty representation has not improved despite a positive association between having more Urim male faculty and having more diverse students. Sex-based disparities in access to liver transplantation for waitlisted patients with model for end-stage liver disease score 40. Objective to determine the association of sex with access to liver transplantation among candidates with the highest possible model for end-stage liver disease score, MELT40. Background Women with end-stage liver disease are less likely than men to receive liver transplantation due in part to MELT's underestimation of renal dysfunction in women. The extent of the sex-based disparity among patients with high disease severity and equally high MELT scores is unclear. Methods Using National Transplant Registry data, we compared liver offer acceptance, offers received at match melt 40, and waitlist outcomes, transplant versus death delisting, by sex for 7,654 waitlisted liver transplant candidates from 2009 to 2019 who reached melt 40. Multivariable logistic and competing risks regression was used to estimate the association of sex with the outcome and adjust for the candidate and donor factors. Results Women, N equals 3019, 39.4%, spent equal time active at MELT 40, median, 5 versus 5 days, P equals 0.28, but had lower offer acceptance, 9.2% versus 11.0%, P less than 0.01, compared with men, N equals 4635, 60.6%. Adjusting for candidate slash donor factors, offers to women were less likely accepted, Odds ratio equals 0.87, P less than 0.01. Adjusting for candidate factors, once they reached MELT 40, women were less likely to be transplanted. Subdistribution hazard ratio equals 0.90, P less than 0.01, and more likely to die or be delisted. Subdistribution hazard ratio equals 1.14, P equals 0.02. Conclusions even among candidates with high disease severity and equally high MELD scores, women have reduced access to liver transplantation and worse outcomes compared with men. Policies addressing this disparity should consider factors beyond MELD score adjustments alone. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Prevention of incisional hernia with retrorectus synthetic mesh versus biological mesh following loop ileostomy closure, pre-loop trial. Background The rate of incisional hernia after closure of a temporary loop ileostomy is significant. Synthetic meshes are still commonly avoided in contaminated wounds. The pre-loop trial was a multi-center RCT designed to evaluate the benefits of synthetic mesh in incisional hernia prevention, 
and its safety for use in a contaminated surgical site compared with biological mesh. Methods Study patients who underwent closure of a loop ileostomy after anterior resection for rectal cancer were assigned to receive either retrorectus synthetic or biological mesh to prevent incisional hernia. The primary outcomes were surgical site infections within 30 days, and clinical or radiological incisional hernia incidence at 10 months. Secondary outcomes were reoperation rate, operating time, duration of hospital stay, other complications within 30 days of surgery, 5-year quality of life measured by RAND 36, and incisional hernia incidence within 5 years of follow-up. Results Between November 2018 and September 2021, 102 patients were randomized, of whom 97 received the intended allocation. At 10-month follow-up, 90 patients had undergone clinical evaluation and 88 radiological evaluation. One patient in each group, 2%, had a clinical diagnosis of incisional hernia, P equals 0.950, and one further patient in each group had a CT-confirmed incisional hernia, P equals 0.949. The number of other complications, reoperation rate, operating time, and duration of hospital stay did not differ between the study groups. Conclusion Synthetic mesh appeared comparable to biological mesh in efficacy and safety for incisional hernia prevention at the time of loop ileostomy closure. Influence of cardiometabolic medications on abdominal aortic aneurysm growth in the UK aneurysm growth study, metformin and angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors associated with slower aneurysm growth. Background There is a clinical need for treatments that can slow or prevent the growth of an abdominal aortic aneurysm, not only to reduce the need for surgery, but to provide a means to treat those who cannot undergo surgery. Methods Analysis of the UK Aneurysm Growth Study, UCAG's, prospective cohort was conducted to test for an association between cardiometabolic medications and the growth of an abdominal aortic aneurysm above 30m in diameter, using linear mixed-effect models. Results A total of 3,670 male participants with data available on abdominal aortic aneurysm growth, smoking status, comorbidities, and medication history were included. The mean age at recruitment was 69.5 years, the median number of surveillance scans was 6, and the mean SE unadjusted abdominal aortic aneurysm growth rate was 1.750.03m/year. In a multivariate linear mixed effect model, smoking, mean SE plus 0.3050.07m/year, p equals 0.00003, and antiplatelet use mean SE plus 0.2350.06m slash year, P equals 0.00018, were found to be associated with more rapid abdominal aortic aneurysm growth, whilst metformin was strongly associated with slower abdominal aortic aneurysm growth, mean SE minus 0.380.1m slash year, T equals 0.00019, as were angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, mean SE minus 0.2430.07m slash year, T equals 0.0004, angiotensin 2 receptor antagonists, mean SE minus 0.2530.08m slash year, T equals 0.00255, and thiazide slash related diuretics, 
mean SE minus 0.3070.09 slash year, P equals 0.00078. Conclusion The strong association of metformin with slower abdominal aortic aneurysm growth highlights the importance of the ongoing clinical trials assessing the effectiveness of metformin with regard to the prevention of abdominal aortic aneurysm growth and or rupture. The association of angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, angiotensin II receptor antagonists, and diuretics with slower abdominal aortic aneurysm growth points to the possibility that optimization of cardiovascular risk management as part of abdominal aortic aneurysm surveillance may have the secondary benefit of also reducing abdominal aortic aneurysm growth rates. Comparing the accuracy of prediction models to detect clinically relevant post-hepatectomy liver failure early after major hepatectomy. Background Arterial lactate measurements were recently suggested as an early predictor of clinically relevant post-hepatectomy liver failure, PHLF. This needed to be evaluated in the subgroup of major hepatectomies only. Method This observational cohort study included consecutive elective major hepatectomies at Karolinska University Hospital from 2010 to 2018. Clinical risk factors for PHLF, perioperative arterial lactate measurements and routine lab values were included in uni and multivariable regression analysis. Receiver operating characteristics and risk cutoffs were calculated. Results In total, 649 patients constituted the study cohort, of which 92 developed PHLF grade BC according to the International Study Group of Liver Surgery, ISCLS. Lactate reached significantly higher intra- and postoperative levels in PHLF grades B and C compared to grade A or no liver failure, all P less than 0.002. Lactate on postoperative day, POD, 1 was superior to earlier measurement time points in predicting PHLF BC, AUC 0.75, but was outperformed by both clinical risk factors, AUC 0.81, P equals 0.031, and bilirubin pod 1, AUC 0.83, P equals 0.013. A multivariable logistic regression model including clinical risk factors and bilirubin pod 1 had the highest AUC of 0.87, P equals 0.006, with 56.6% sensitivity and 94.7% specificity for PHLF grade BC, cutoff greater than or equal to 0.32. The model identified 46.7% of patients with 90-day mortality and had an equally good discriminatory potential for mortality as the established discourse criteria for PHLF grade BC but could be applied already on pod 1. Conclusion The potential of lactate to predict PHLF following major hepatectomy was inferior to a prediction model consisting of clinical risk factors and bilirubin on first postoperative day. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Current Medicare reimbursement for complex endovascular aortic repair is inadequate based on results from a multi-institutional cost analysis. Objective Complex endovascular juxta, para- and suprarenal abdominal aortic aneurysm repair, (CAMEVER) is frequently accomplished with commercially available fenestrated, 
fever, devices, or off-label use of aortoiliac devices with parallel branch stents, chever. We sought to evaluate the implantable vascular device costs incurred with these procedures as compared with standard Medicare reimbursement to determine the financial viability of Camever in the modern era. Methods Five geographically distinct institutions with high-volume, complex aortic centers were included. Implantable aortoiliac and branch stent device cost data from 25 consecutive, recent, Camever in the treatment of juxta, para, and suprarenal aortic aneurysms at each center were analyzed. Cases of rupture, thoracic aneurysms, reinterventions, and physician-modified EVR were excluded, as were ancillary costs from non-implantable equipment. Data from all institutions were combined and stratified into an overall cost group and two, individual cost groups, fever or chever. These groups were compared, and each respective group was then compared with weighted Medicare reimbursement for diagnosis-related group codes 268-269. Median device costs were obtained from an independent purchasing consortium of greater than 3,000 medical centers, yielding true median costs to institution data rather than speculative, administrative projections or estimates. Results A total of 125 cases were analyzed, 70 fever and 53 chever. Two cases of combined fever slash chever were included in total cost analysis, but excluded from direct fever versus chever comparison. Median Medicare reimbursement was calculated as $35,755 per case. Combined average implantable device cost for all analyzed cases was $28,470 per case, or 80% of the median reimbursement, $28,470-$35,755. Average fever device cost per case, $26,499, was significantly lower than average Chever cost per case, $32,122, p less than 0.002. Device cost was 74%, $26,499-$35,755, of total reimbursement for fever and 90%, $32,122-$35,755 for Chever. Conclusions Results from this multi-institutional analysis show that implantable device cost alone represents the vast majority of weighted total Medicare reimbursement per case with Camever, and that Chever is significantly more costly than Fever. Inadequate Medicare reimbursement for these cases puts high-volume, high-complexity aortic centers at a distinct financial disadvantage. In the interest of optimizing patient care, these data suggest a reconsideration of previously established, outdated, diagnosis-related group coding and Medicare reimbursement for Camever. Outcomes of octogenarians receiving aortic repair Objective Abdominal aortic aneurysm, AAA Repair is recommended for aneurysms greater than 5.5 cm in men and 5 cm in women. Because AAA is more common among the elderly, we sought to evaluate contemporary practices of elective AAA repair and two-year postoperative outcomes in octogenarians. Methods We identified octogenarians undergoing elective AAA repair in the Vascular Quality Initiative from 2012 to 2019. We included patients undergoing endovascular, EVAR, and open, OAR, aortic repair. Demographics and comorbid conditions were compared between patient groups. Frailty was calculated using previously published methods.
patients with frailty scores above the 75th percentile of the operative cohort were considered high frailty. The primary outcome was one- and two-year mortality. Secondary outcomes included postoperative complications. Standard statistical methods were utilized. Cox proportional hazard models were used to identify factors that affect mortality. Results The frequency of AAA repair in octogenarians has remained stable. Of all aortic operations, 21.4% were performed on octogenarians, 9,735, 23.3% of 41,712, FR and 755, 10.3% of 7,325, ORS. Among octogenarian patients, 42.0% of EVARs were undersized thresholds, 48.3% males less than or equal to 5.5 cm diameter and 21.5% females less than or equal to 5.0 cm diameter compared with 18.8% ORs, 23.4% males and 10.7% females. Additionally, 25.6% had high frailty scores. Among octogenarians, one- and two-year mortality was 9.3% plus or minus 0.3% and 14.8% plus or minus 0.4% for EVR and 15.2% plus or minus 1.3% and 18.9% plus or minus 1.5% for or patients, respectively, P less than 0.01. In-hospital mortality rate was higher after OR, 0.87% EVR versus 7.55% OR p less than 0.01, and differed with frailty, FR, low frailty 0.2% versus high frailty 1.7%, or, low frailty 2.3% versus high frailty 15.6%. For FR, patient factors associated with mortality included heart failure, hazard ratio, HR, 1.15, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.06 to 1.25, P equals 0.001 and dialysis, HR, 1.71, 95% C, 1.13 to 2.59, P equals 0.012. For or, coronary artery disease, HR, 1.55, 95% C, 0.98 to 2.44, P equals 0.062, was associated with mortality. Statin use was protective of mortality for all patients, FR, HR, 0.68, 95% C, 0.60 to 0.78, P less than 0.01, or, HR, 0.58, 95% C, 0.37 to 0.92, P equals 0.020. Among octogenarians, high frailty was independently associated with two-year mortality, FR, HR, 3.36, 95% C, 2.62 to 4.31, P less than 0.01 in OR, HR, 2.35, 95% C, 1.09 to 5.10, P equals 0.030. Conclusions Nationally, a large portion of elective AAA repair in octogenarians is performed below recommended size thresholds, one quarter of whom are frail with poor long-term two-year mortality rates. High two-year mortality following AAA repair in this age group exceeds the published risk of rupture for 5 to 5.5 cm AAA, suggesting that increase in the size threshold of elective repair among octogenarians should be explored.
The association of comorbid depression with mortality and amputation risk in patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia. Objective. There is increasing evidence that depression is a risk factor for worse outcomes in patients with peripheral artery disease. The association of depression in patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia, CLTI, is not well described, nor is the impact of medical treatment for depression in this patient population. The objective of this study was to investigate the prevalence of depression in patients with CLTI, its association on major amputation and all-cause mortality, and whether medical antidepressant treatment is associated with improvement in these outcomes in patients with depression. Methods A retrospective review of all adult patients, greater than or equal to 18 years old, diagnosed with CLTI from January 1, 2007, to December 31, 2018, at a single academic medical center was performed. Collected data included patient demographics, comorbidities, and diagnosis of depression within six months of initial CLTI diagnosis. We also collected data on use of antidepressant medications. Outcomes evaluated were need for major lower extremity amputation and all-cause mortality. Results A total of 2,987 patients with CLTI were identified. Mean age was 68.6 years, standard deviation, 12.9 years, 56.5% were male, and 43.5% were female. Comorbid depression within 6 months of CLTI diagnosis was present in 7.1% of the cohort, 212 patients. In multivariable analysis, comorbid depression was associated with a 68% increase in the odds of major amputation, adjusted odds ratio, AOR, 1.68. 95% confidence interval, C, 1.19 to 2.37, P less than 0.01, a 164% increase in the odds of all-cause mortality among patients not taking antidepressants, AOR, 2.64, 95% C, 1.31 to 5.32, P equals 0.03, and only a 6% increase in the odds of all-cause mortality among patients taking antidepressants, AOR, 1.06, 95% C, 0.72 to 1.55, P equals 0.99. The effect of comorbid depression on mortality varied significantly by whether or not the patient was taking an antidepressant medication, P equals 0.02. Conclusions Comorbid depression in the patient population with CLTI is associated with a worse prognosis for major lower extremity amputation overall and a worse prognosis for all-cause mortality among patients not taking an antidepressant. Furthermore, antidepressant treatment in the presence of comorbid depression in this patient population is associated with an improvement in the odds of all-cause mortality, illustrating the potential importance of medical management of depression. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Significance of Comprehensive Analysis of Preoperative Sarcopenia Based on Muscle Mass, Muscle Strength and Physical Function for the Prognosis of Patients with Esophageal Cancer. Background The assessment of muscle mass loss, muscle strength, and physical function has been recommended in diagnosing sarcopenia. However, only muscle mass has been assessed in previous studies. Therefore, this study investigated the effect of comprehensively diagnosed preoperative sarcopenia on the prognosis of patients with esophageal cancer. Methods 
The study analyzed 115 patients with esophageal cancer, age greater than or equal to 65 years, who underwent curative esophagectomy. Preoperative sarcopenia was analyzed using the Skeletal Mass Index, SMI, hand grip strength, and gait speed based on the Asian Working Group for Sarcopenia 2019 criteria. Clinicopathologic factors, incidence of postoperative complications, and overall survival, OS, were compared between the sarcopenia and non-sarcopenia groups. The significance of the three individual parameters also was evaluated. Results The evaluation identified 47, 40.9% patients with low SMI, 31, 27.0%, patients with low hand grip strength, and 6, 5.2%, patients with slow gait speed. Sarcopenia was diagnosed in 23 patients, 20% and associated with older age and advanced PT stage. The incidence of postoperative complications did not differ significantly between the two groups. Among the three parameters, only slow gait speed was associated with Clavin-Dindo grade 2 or greater complications. The sarcopenia group showed significantly worse OS than the non-sarcopenia group. Those with low hand grip strength tended to have worse OS and those with slow gait speed had significantly worse OS than their counterparts. Conclusions Preoperative sarcopenia diagnosed using skeletal muscle mass, muscle strength, and physical function may have an impact on the survival of patients with esophageal cancer. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Long-Term Outcomes and Predictors of Response in Breast Cancer Patients with Advanced Nodal Involvement Background Advanced nodal disease is associated with poor prognosis. However, modern neoadjuvant systemic therapy, NST, regimens have resulted in higher pathologic complete response, PCR, rates, which are associated with improved survival. We sought to assess contemporary outcomes in patients with advanced nodal involvement and response to NST. Study Design We conducted a single institution, retrospective study of 521 patients with CN23 primary nonmetastatic breast cancer treated with NSD followed by surgery and radiation from 2012 to 2018. Descriptive statistics, multivariate Cox regression, and Kaplan-Meier analyzes were performed. Results The mean age was 50.5 years, and median follow-up was 61, 4.7 to 197, months. The majority of patients had hormone receptor positive, HR plus slash HER2 negative tumors, HER2 minus, and equals 242, 47.8%. Most were CT2, and equals 243, 46.6%, or CT3, and equals 139, 26.7%, and 73.3%, and equals 382 had CN3 disease. Rate of axillary PCR was 34.2%, and breast and axillary PCR was 19.4%, and equals 101. Event-free survival, EFS, at 5 years was 75.1%, 95% C, 0.71 to 0.79. Rate of local regional recurrence was 6.7%, distant metastatic rate was 29.4%. Axillary PCR with or without breast PCR was significantly associated with longer EFS, P equals 0.001.
Achieving breast-slash-axillary PCR was an independent predictor of improved EFS, hazard ratio 0.22, P less than 0.0001. Having triple negative disease was associated with worse EFS, hazard ratio 1.74, P equals 0.008. Conclusions In a high-risk cohort of patients with CN23 disease, trimodality therapy was effective in achieving durable EFS. Approximately one-third of patients achieved axillary PCR, which was associated with improved survival. Further studies are needed to accurately determine axillary response in CN23 breast cancer after NSD in order to develop de-escalation strategies to reduce morbidity associated with axillary surgery. Analysis of conflicts of interest in studies related to robotics and gastrointestinal and abdominal wall surgery. Background Industry payments to physicians represent a potential conflict of interest, COI, and can influence the study conclusions. This study aimed to evaluate the accuracy of the COIs reported in major surgical journals. Study design Studies with at least one American author published between 2016 and 2021 that discussed observational and intervention studies assessing robotic surgery were included in the analysis. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Open Payments Database was used to collect the industry payments. A COI is defined as receiving funding from a robotics company while publishing research directly related to the company's products. A COI statement was defined as disclosed or accurate, if the disclosure statement for the study in question acknowledged funding from the robotics companies. A COI was defined as undisclosed or inaccurate, if the disclosure statement for the study in question did not acknowledge funding from the robotics companies. Results A total of 314 studies and 1978 authors were analyzed. Only 13.6% of the studies had accurate COI statements, whereas the majority, 86.4%, had inaccurate COI disclosures. Additionally, 48.9% of the authors who received funding of $10,000 to $100,000 failed to report this amount in their disclosures, and 18% of the authors who received funding of $100,000 or more did not report it in their disclosures. Conclusions There was a significant discordance between the self-reported COI in gastrointestinal and abdominal wall surgeries. This study calls for continued efforts to improve the definitions of what constitutes a relevant COI and encourages a standardized reporting process. It is imperative for investigators to make accurate disclosure statements. <music> National Multi-Institutional Validation of a Surgical Transfusion Risk Prediction Model Background Accurate estimation of surgical transfusion risk is important for many aspects of surgical planning, yet few methods for estimating are available for estimating such risk. There is a need for reliable validated methods for transfusion risk stratification to support effective perioperative planning and resource stewardship. Study Design This study was conducted using the American College of Surgeons and Scope data file from 2019. S-PATH performance was evaluated each contributing hospital, with and without hospital-specific model tuning. Linear regression was used to assess the relationship between hospital characteristics and area under the receiver operating characteristic, ORAC, curve. 
Results A total of 1,927 surgical cases from 414 hospitals were evaluated. Aggregate ORAC was 0.910, 95% C0.904 to 0.916, without model tuning and 0.925, 95% C0.919 to 0.931, with model tuning. ORAC varied across individual hospitals, median 0.900, interquartile range 0.849 to 0.944, but no statistically significant relationships were found between hospital-level characteristics studied and model ORAC. Conclusions SPATH demonstrated excellent discriminative performance, although there was variation across hospitals that was not well explained by hospital-level characteristics. These results highlight the SPATH's viability as a generalizable surgical transfusion risk prediction tool. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Post-traumatic pneumonia exacerbates bone marrow erythropoietic dysfunction. Introduction Pneumonia is a common complication after severe trauma that is associated with worse outcomes with increased mortality. Critically ill trauma patients also have persistent inflammation and bone marrow dysfunction that manifests as persistent anemia. Terminal erythropoiesis, which occurs in bone marrow structures called erythroblastic islands, EBIs, has been shown to be impacted by trauma. Using a preclinical model of polytrauma, PT, and pneumonia, We sought to determine the effect of infection on bone marrow dysfunction and terminal erythropoiesis. Methods Male and female sprague dolly rats aged 9 to 11 weeks were subjected to either PT, lung contusion, hemorrhagic shock, cystectomy, and bifemoral pseudofracture or PT with post-injury day 1 pseudomonas pneumonia, PTPNA, and compared with a naive cohort. Erythroblastic islands were isolated from bone marrow samples and imaged via confocal microscopy. Hemoglobin, early bone marrow erythroid progenitors, erythroid cells slash EBI, and percent reticulocyte slash EBI were measured on day 7. Significance was defined as P less than 0.05. Results. Day 7 hemoglobin was significantly lower in both PT and PTPNA groups compared with naive, 10.8 plus or minus 0.6 and 10.9 plus or minus 0.7 versus 12.1 plus or minus 0.7 grams slash DL, B less than 0.05. Growth of bone marrow early erythroid progenitors, colony forming units, granulocyte, erythrocyte, monocyte, megakaryocyte, erythroid burst forming unit, and erythroid colony forming unit on day 7 was significantly reduced in PTPNA compared with both PT and naive. Despite a peripheral reticulocytosis following PT and PTPNA, the percentage of reticulocyte slash EBI was not different between naive, PT, and PTPNA. However, the number of erythroblasts slash EBI was significantly lower in PTPNA compared with naive, 2.9 plus or minus 1.5, P less than 0.05, versus 8.9 plus or minus 1.1 cells slash EBI macrophage. In addition to changes in EBI composition, EBIs were also found to have significant structural changes following PT and PTPNA. Conclusion Multi-compartmental PT altered late-stage erythropoiesis, and these changes were augmented with the addition of pneumonia. To improve outcomes following trauma and pneumonia, 
we need to better understand how alterations in EBI structure and function impact persistent bone marrow dysfunction and anemia. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. Increased risk of upstage when combinations of breast lesions of uncertain malignant potential are found on core needle biopsy, the need for surgical excision. Background Management of breast lesions of uncertain malignant potential diagnosed at core needle biopsy, CNB, is controversial due to variable upstage rate, ER, with surgical excision, SE. Methods we performed an IRB-approved retrospective analysis of adult women who underwent CNB demonstrating atypical ductal hyperplasia, ADH, flat epithelial atypia, radial scar, or intraductal papilloma than SE between 2010 and 2022. We evaluated CNB pathology for combination diagnoses, CD, defined as multiple primary lesions or primary with lobular neoplasia, lane, and surgical pathology for upstage. Results 719 patients were included. ER was 12.2%, 88,719. CD experienced higher ER than pure, 17.7%, 45,254, versus 9.2%, 43,465, P equals 0.001. ADH slash lane had the highest ER of all CD, 34.6%, 926, P equals 0.001. Increased size, 15.6 versus 10.5 M, P less than 0.001, distance from nipple, 79 versus 66 M, P less than 0.001, and personal history of breast cancer, P equals 0.04, were associated with ER. Conclusions CD was associated with increased ER. ADH slash lane had the highest ER. Effects of Gender on Work-Life Balance Satisfaction Among Trauma Surgeons, a Survey Study Background Physician burnout rates are rising. Because dissatisfaction with work-life balance, WLB, is associated with burnout, improving this balance is a key solution. This cross-sectional survey study aims to evaluate factors associated with WLB in trauma surgeons, stratified by gender. Methods This is a secondary analysis studying gender, of a survey evaluating predictors of WLB in trauma surgeons. Survey topics include demographics, clinical practice, family, lifestyle, and emotional support. Subgroups were analyzed independently. Primary outcome was WLB satisfaction. Results 292 OS members completed the survey. Responses were stratified by gender, 29% females, 71% males. Independent predictors of WLB satisfaction are Females, more awake hours at home, having a job well suited for them, better about meeting deadlines. Males, comfortable declining new tasks, fair compensation, healthy diet, workplace emotional support. Conclusion Factors associated with WLB satisfaction in trauma surgeons are different based on gender. This information may help trauma surgeons mitigate burnout.
Does gender affect experiences in the operating room for surgeons and anesthesiologists at a large academic center? Background Although the number of women medical trainees has increased in recent years, they remain a minority of the academic workforce. Gender-based implicit biases may lead to deleterious effects on surgical workforce retention and productivity. Methods All 440 attending surgeons and anesthesiologists employed at our institution were invited to complete a survey regarding perceptions of the perioperative work environment and resources. Odds ratios for dichotomous variables were calculated using logistic regressions, and for trichotomous variables, polydomous regressions. Results 243 participants, 55.2%, provided complete survey responses. Relative to men, women faculty reported a greater need to prove themselves to staff, less respect and fewer resources and opportunities, more frequent assumptions about their capabilities, and a greater need to adjust their demeanor to connect with their team, p less than 0.05. Conclusion Perceived gender bias remains present in the perioperative environment. We need greater efforts to address barriers and create an equitable work environment. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead. Stay blessed and be humane.